Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you with us, as well as all of those worshiping out in Prescott Valley today. Give yourselves a hand. We're so grateful for you. Um, If you haven't already, grab your Bibles. We're in Romans chapter 15 uh, today. For those of you who are newcomers with us, we've spent the better part of a year working through the book of the Bible called Romans. And we're just going line by line. And today we've made it all the way to chapter 15, which means we really only got four weeks left of Romans. So I know some of you are excited about that and some of you may be sad. Maybe that's just me. Today, we're going to jump into our text and we're going to finish up All of these do build off each other. We're going to finish up a conversation that the Apostle Paul began at the beginning of chapter 14, where he's addressing people in the church that he calls people of strong faith and people who have weak faith. And how do people in the church who have strong faith and weak faith, how are they supposed to deal with one Another. So that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. Today, we're going to finish that conversation up. Now, to get the most out of this conversation, I think it'd be really helpful for us to figure out which camp we're in. Are we the people who have strong faith or are we the people who have weak faith? So let me try to help set the context so you can figure out where you, you are today. If you've been with us throughout the book of Romans, then you know by now that this church was primarily made up of two groups of people. There were Jewish people who have converted to Christianity. That's one group. The other group are pagans who have converted to Christianity. And now they're all together under one roof. Everybody in the Roman church was a first-generation follower of Jesus. In other words, none of them had faith in Jesus passed down through their family for generation after generation. The Jewish people were Jews, right? So they were Jews. They had followed the sacrificial system. They had obeyed all of the covenant laws in the Old Testament. They worshiped in synagogues and at the temple. And 
And that was their faith that had been passed down to them for generations for 1,500 years. They were very godly and they were very religious. They just weren't Jesus followers. Now, on the other side of the room were the Gentiles. And they had grown up worshiping uh, Jupiter and Juno and Venus and Pluto and Mars. Yes, all of your all of the planets in our solar system are named after Roman gods, except for Earth. I don't know where Earth got its name. I don't know. Google it up. The Gentiles grew up worshiping all of those gods. They grew up going to those temples and making sacrifices to those uh, idols. Both groups hear the gospel of Jesus. They come to faith in Christ. And for the first time, these two groups of people now share something in common, a common faith, a common belief in Jesus Christ. Now, the question then becomes, which one of these groups is the strong and which of them is the weak? Now, since Jesus was the fulfillment of the law of the Old Testament of the Jews, since Jesus was the promised Messiah who was to come through the Jews, you would think that the Jews would be the one with strong faith and the Gentiles have weak faith. But that's not the case. Not in, not in the Roman church. When, when Paul is addressing those with weak faith, He's primarily looking to the Jews. And when he's addressing those with strong faith, he's primarily looking to the Gentiles, which begs this question, how could that happen? The Jews know all the rules. They know all the commands of God. They try to follow the rules and they try to get other people to follow the rules. They memorized all the Bible verses. They know all of the right prayers. They've heard all of the stories. They sing from the right hymn book. Like literally the book of Psalms in your Bible was their hymn book. Like if anybody should have strong faith, it should have been the Jewish people, right? Wrong. Why? Because what is Paul talking about? He's addressing those with strong faith. Strong faith. Not strong obedience. Not strong law keeping. But strong faith. He's talking about people who have full faith and confidence that what Jesus did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection was enough to make someone right before God. The Gentiles, they believed that. They had full faith and confidence that Jesus was enough, that they didn't need anything outside of Jesus. The Jewish people, on the other hand, they struggled with that idea. They believed, yes, you have to have Jesus, but many of them believed that you also have to eat the right food and not drink certain things and, and worship on the right days and celebrate the right feasts and perform the right rituals in the right way. In other words, they thought there was still a need to fulfill the law. Deep down, they struggled to believe that faith in Jesus was enough. They just felt like they needed to do all of the other stuff too. So they didn't just 
follow the rules that God gave. They created rules on top of the rules to help bolster their faith. They created rules around what you could eat and what you could drink and what days you should worship on and what festivals you should celebrate. None of these things were wrong in and of themselves. But these people were using all of these rules almost like a scaffolding to hold up their weak faith. And they were trusting that their actions would help make them acceptable before God. The Gentiles, on the other hand, did no such thing. Like, they pushed all of their chips to the middle of the table and bet it on Jesus. Like, he's it. They understood that it was by faith alone in Jesus that would save them, not their good works, no matter how good they are. So they then had no problem with what they ate, no problem with what they drank or what days they worshiped on. They knew that none of this stuff was going to save them and thus none of that stuff was going to damn them. It was all on Jesus. So at the end of the day, those who were following the most rules and who insisted other people follow all of the rules those were the ones who actually had the weakest faith because at the end of the day, they were trusting their rule following to help them get right and be right before God. And I believe what was true in the first century is still true in the 21st century, that those who create the most rules and those who insist on others following the rules that those are oftentimes the people who have the weakest faith in Jesus. Because what they're saying is, simple faith in Jesus isn't enough. Now, I need to remind you, just so you don't mishear me today, that we're not talking about things that Scripture clearly calls sin. You don't get to choose whether to follow those rules. We're talking about the disputable matters, that goes back a couple of weeks if you missed that. There's a lot of disputable matters in following Jesus, things that Scripture isn't perfectly clear on and that good Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Spirit-filled people come to different conclusions on. They're disputable. Sin is not disputable, but there are a lot of matters that are. So we're not talking about sin. We're talking about the disputable matters. These people have a way of making up rules related to these disputable matters. And Paul says a person who lives like that is actually a person who has weak faith. So with that background and context, here's the question. Where do you find yourself? Are you in the weak camp? Are you in the strong camp? For those of you who are in the strong camp, the question is, how are we supposed to relate to those who find themselves in the weak camp? What do we do when we have brothers and sisters in Christ who create for themselves rules for following Jesus that Jesus himself did not create? The text we're going to look at today is primarily speaking to those who are strong in faith. 
So if you've got strong faith, you feel like I know what it looks like to live out my liberty and freedom in Jesus, Paul is talking to you. How do we, how do we act and live around those who have weak faith? And I just need to tell you, if you find yourself in the strong camp today, as we've learned with so much of the book of Romans, there's a really good chance you are not going to like what you hear today. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. As we come through this section of Romans, Paul's expectation for how the weak and stronger interact, it's become more stringent. If you've been with us the last few weeks, the first week it was accept them. Just accept them. I know they're a little weird and quirky. Just accept them. Then he said last week, don't be a stumbling block to them. So a little harsher. And this week it's now, you are obligated. That's what this word ought means. You are obligated. It's not like you should do something. It's you owe it to them. You are obligated to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, I love it that he says it's failings. What they think and how they're acting and what they believe they are, they, they're missing it. They don't get it. There's freedom that they're not experiencing. They're failing in this. But that doesn't matter. Paul says, we who are strong. In other words, Paul is including himself in this category. If you're in the strong category, Paul says, I'm right there with you. We have freedom and liberty in Christ. However, we who are strong, Owe it to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Now, this word bear has a couple of meanings, actually, not just the fuzzy, big, scary animal. It can also mean to bear with someone, can sometimes mean um, that you put up with or you endure. You bear the pain. You endure the pain. Secondarily, it could also mean to carry something on behalf of someone else. You bear the weight of a burden for someone. And that's what he's talking about here. Paul says that we who are strong ought to bear the weight of the burden. We ought to carry the burden of the weak. The strong should put themselves under the weight that the weak have put on themselves instead of choosing to please themselves. Now, it is natural for all of us to want to please ourselves. We do this naturally. It makes our lives more comfortable. It makes our lives more convenient. But that's not an option for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not get to please ourselves in these disputable matters. Each of you, each of us, Paul's still talking to the strong, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Again, if you were with us a few weeks ago, Pastor Josh talked about what it was to love your neighbor as yourself. So again, that for us was three weeks ago. Lots happened since then. For, for 
Whoever was reading this and listening to this letter read out loud in the Roman church, that was four minutes ago. So this is a callback to that moment where Paul said, love your neighbors as yourself. Each of us should please our neighbor for for their own good to build them up. We shouldn't just tolerate them, he says. We're not just putting up with them. We are to please them. You don't just ignore them. You don't just tolerate. You are to please them for their good to build them up. We are not to go out of our way and please ourselves and do the things that we want because we have freedom in Christ to do it. Instead, we are to work to please our neighbor, our weak faith, vegetable-eating, non-drinking, Saturday-worshipping, overly sensitive neighbor. Doesn't that sound awful? So why would we do that? Why would we do that? If you ask me, they just need to suck it up. Times have changed. Come on, get with the program. Christ has given us freedom to enjoy some things that maybe at another time it wasn't. Get with the program. We live by grace through faith. Like, come on, get it together. In what universe does it make sense to restrict the rights of the free to conform to the scruples of the weak? Why would we do that? And the answer is Jesus. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus, who had the greatest freedom, the greatest liberty to do what he wanted to do. Jesus, who had every right to live for his own glory forever. Jesus, who would have been justified in pleasing himself and making everybody else please him, he voluntarily laid down all of his rights for our good to build us up. Paul quotes here Psalm 69. It was a psalm that the the early church recognized was a messianic psalm. It was pointing to the Messiah It is a psalm about a righteous man who is so much like God that when people insulted God, those insults fell on him because he was so much like God. And that was a picture of Jesus. Jesus didn't please himself. Jesus gave up heaven for earth. We're looking forward to one day giving up earth for heaven. He went the other way around. Jesus gave up being the king of kings to become the servant of all. Jesus gave up all power to become weak as a newborn. 
Jesus gave up hearing angels cry, holy, 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 to hearing sinners cry, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus gave up being the greatest object of God's love to being the greatest object of God's wrath. Jesus is not only the model for us not pleasing ourselves, he is also the motivation for us not pleasing ourselves. We choose to put others first because that's what Jesus did. Now, in our text here, there's actually a bit of a parenthetical note here with verse four. He quotes this Old Testament passage from Psalm 69, and it's almost as if he has this little thought that he's just got to get out there for us. So let's hit this parenthetical thought. He says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. It's, when he quotes that scripture, it's almost like he's like, oh, you all know why we have the Old Testament, right? That's what he's saying. Like all of that stuff that's written in the Old Testament was written to teach us. Like there are some pastors and there are some churches that kind of want to kick the Old Testament to the side and treat it like it's not important anymore. Paul does not believe that. He says those scriptures, and when he says scriptures, he's not talking about what's in your New Testament. He's writing your New Testament. He says those scriptures, all of those books in the front of your Bible, they were given to you for a purpose, to teach you, so that when you read it and you learn and you see the character of God and the way God shows up in the in the lives of his people, that would give you endurance. It would cause you to see God's faithfulness and not quit. It would give you encouragement, like literally to fill you with courage. When you see men and women of faith who, under, who, who went through terrible circumstances, yet God came through for them over and over and over again, that should give you courage, fill you with courage. That's what the word encourage means to fill you with courage so that you live out your faith in ways that they did so that ultimately you are filled with hope. When we read the Old Testament, the story of those faithful followers points us to a God who is faithful to encourage us and inspire us and to give us hope. Now, so that's a little sidebar about the Old Testament that Paul throws in here for us. And back to the topic at hand. Why did Jesus choose to please us instead of please himself? Why did he choose to put our needs before his own? Well, he did it, as verse two said, to, he did it for, for our good, not his, for ours, and to build us up. Now, as we jump to verse five, Paul shifts from telling us about what Jesus did and begins to focus on what we should do because of what Jesus did. Paul, again, talking mainly to the strong who are among us, says that you are to do the exact same thing Jesus did. You are to please others, not please yourself. If you're a newcomer with us, I'm going to make this really awkward. I'm really sorry. You don't have to participate. But if you're one of 
Quad City Zone, I, I have a simple question. This is interactive sermon time. Do you call yourself a follower of Jesus? It was not very interactive. Give me a head nod. <laughs> Give me a golf clap. Give, raise your hand. Do you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Yes. Okay. Then you have to follow Jesus. Then you have to follow Jesus. Like sometimes we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus without actually following Jesus. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you have to be willing to lay down your rights for people who don't deserve it. Because that's what Jesus did. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then follow him. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, look, this is what you have to do. What does Paul want for this church? He wants them to have the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had towards you. He wants this church to be of one mind and of one voice to the glory of God. He, he wants this church to be unified to the glory of God. As we noted a couple of weeks ago, unity does not mean uniformity. He does not mean we all need to think the same and act the same and behave the same and believe the same when it comes to the disputable matters. We do in the closed hand indisputable matters, but there's a lot of things in the disputable hand that we don't have to agree on. But we do have to have unity around. That's what he's saying. In the church, it is better to lay down your rights than to fight for them because that's what Jesus did. Had a bit of an epiphany. I haven't really fleshed it out. I haven't had time to process it. I usually don't th share things this shortly, but I had a bit of an epiphany as I was working through this text a couple of weeks ago. And I had this thought, and you can rebuke me if you feel I am wrong on it, but here was my thought. You can't fight for your rights and look like Jesus at the same time. You can't fight for your rights and look like Jesus at the same time. I mean, think about it. When do you ever see Jesus standing up and fighting for his rights? From the moment he left the throne of heaven to go to a manger in Bethlehem, which eventually led him to a cross outside of Jerusalem, Jesus only ever laid down his rights. 
and what Jesus did to make us his brothers and sisters, we need to do to keep unity among our brothers and sisters. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Oh, don't blow past this. Like sometimes we can just read this and keep going. Like put some handles on this for a second. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. How has Christ accepted you? Like, think about it. If, if I'm called to accept my brothers and sisters as Christ accepted me, then it's important for me to know how Christ has accepted me so that I'll know how to accept you. How did Christ accept you? Did Christ accept you once you got your life straightened up? Is that how Christ accepted you? Did, did Christ accept you? Once you came to fully understand everything that he came to fully understand? Is that how Christ accepted you? Did Christ accept you once you agreed with him in everything? Then did he choose to accept you? Did Christ accept you once you were no longer a pain in his neck? Or other regions? Did Christ accept you once you started becoming a blessing to him? Is that when Christ accepted you? And the answer is, we can do better than that. No. no. We still haven't straightened up. We still act in ignorance. We still fight against his wisdom. We're still a pain. And yet he accepts us. And he laid down his, his life to prove it. And Paul says, in the same way that Christ accepted you, you who are strong are to accept your brothers and sisters. Now, just to top off this section, Paul reminds both sides of the room, the weak and the strong, the Jews and the Gentiles, that they both belong in the family of God. For I tell you that Christ has become the servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. He says, look, church, you all have a place here. He starts with the Jews. Like God has a place in the body for the Jewish people because he made promises to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And, and because of those promises, those faithful Jews who follow Jesus will always have a place in the body of Christ. But they're not alone. The Gentiles also have a place that they might bring glory to God for his mercy. The Gentiles have a place. Paul's talking to this church and says, those of you with weak faith, those of you with strong faith, you both belong here. We're part of the same family here. So he first tells the Jews, reminds them, and then he 
says to the Gentiles, I'm sorry, says to the Jews, the Gentiles belong too. And what's interesting is to make this point about the Gentiles having a place among the people of God. Paul will, got your Bible open, he quotes four different verses. Not one, not two, not three, four different verses from the Jewish scriptures to tell the Jews, oh, the Gentiles have always been a part of this plan. As it is written in the scriptures, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are going to be praising God too. I will sing praises to your name. Again, it is said, again, it says, rejoice Gentiles with his people. They're a part of his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. Like they are included in this too, Jews. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's the Messiah who is to come, will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations in him, the Gentiles will hope. Now, none of y'all got really excited to hear that. You really should. Because those scriptures, are the reason you're here. Like, like that's why we got included. God's plan from the beginning was to give us a shot to come into Jesus and be a part of his family. We should be so excited that we got to be a part of what God was doing in the world. The last three weeks of, of our messages could actually have been summed up in really two words. Two words in a symbol. But pastors always have to make things more complicated. Here's the whole point of this whole section. You ready? Unity is greater than liberty. This is the whole point. Unity is greater than liberty amongst the believers, amongst the brothers and sisters in the family of God, in the body of Christ. Unity matters way more than our liberty. And wherever it is you find yourself living out of your liberty and your freedoms and your desires in a way that creates disunity among the body of Christ, you are no longer loving your brothers and sisters. And you are no longer living like Jesus. So I want you to think about this for just a few moments. Think about the groups and influence that you have with the people in your life. In your life groups or your discipleship group or a Bible study or, or a lobby conversation or a social media feed where are you choosing to allow your liberties and your freedom over disputable matters to override the unity in the body of Christ? And I'm not even talking just about the body of Christ that makes up Quad City Christian Church. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. There are a lot of good, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching, spirit-filled Christians all throughout this community, and they go to churches that do things different, that act a little different, that believe a little different when it comes to these disputable matters. 
and you leveraging your opinion to how they do their things or say their things or don't do the right thing or you are allowing disunity because of your liberty. And if that's you, you need to repent. You need to confess that and repent of that and stop posting that and quit saying that and stop pressing your opinion on other people in these disputable matters. Wherever it is, you and I need to repent and to be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of our brothers and sisters. We who are strong, to bear with, hold up under the failings of the weak. So if you think they're weak and they've got it wrong, and just like Jesus, you step in with love by laying down your rights. Paul ends this little section of Romans with a benediction. And today, as we wrap up our time together, I simply want to end by praying this benediction, speaking this benediction over you today. So would you stand as we wrap up our text today? May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you receive it, say amen. amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.